Tanel and Jeremy Tanel. Streaming to you recorded from Seattle, Washington. Here. And welcome to the Plowline Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Jeremy Tunnell. And this is Jerry Balarosa Tunnell. And today we are going to continue in our series called Down with Brown and All Right with White. I think we should probably flip that a little bit. Okay. How would you like to do that? You say Down with Brown. Okay. Today we're going to continue our series with Down with Brown and All Right with White. Yeah, that does sound better. I like that better. <laughs> There's okay. some people out there that probably won't think it's sounded better, but <laughs> it's okay. Okay, so here we go. I know that the last time that um, we uh, had our podcast, you did most of the uh, um, guiding of the conversations in regards to some of the uh, struggles and some of the things that I went through being in our relationship where I am this beautiful cocoa butter brown and you are, at this time of year, your parchment. <laughs> That's correct. Your parchment. And then you turn to tawny gold in, um, like in July and August. And, the minute the sun touches my skin. Right. And then I just become this, uh, what, what color would you say? Um, kind of like... Uh, because if I'm cocoa butter brown right now. It, that's then... not what I said the other day. You're cocoa butter brown in the summertime. <laughs> You're coconut husk. Coconut. <laughs> right now. That's, that's what right. I said. That's right. I'm coconut husk. My winter color is coconut husk. Your winter color is coconut and husk. And my summer color is uh, cocoa butter brown. Right. Okay. All right. I got you. And that conversation exemplified this idea that, um, that you know, there's no such thing as white. Um, uh, you know, we are all colors. And in right. fact, the weird thing about it is even the most stringent white supremacist loves a good tan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, I don't think, I don't think it's, um, you know, in regards to social justice and the things that we're talking about that, yeah, there's no such thing as the color. I mean, there is right. White is a color. No, it, white in the scientific term, white is absent is, of no all colors put together. White is all colors oh. put together. White is all colors put together. Black is the absence of color. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. But I think what what some of the things that we really want to talk about is uh, utilizing and using the cloak of whiteness. So that's a that's a different intersection. That's something different instead of just calling each other. White, because I know that I, I know how to use a cloak of whiteness myself. Sure, as a brown person. Yeah, you know. The, so the cloak of whiteness is, um, you know, it's uh, what was that MTV thing we were watching? MTV thing. Yeah, remember you showed it to me, and that and that one dude went around the college campuses, and he was, you know, oh, he the was, dear uh, white people. No, 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 no. Which the, one? You showed it to Hunter and I. On your computer. Oh, right. Um, gosh, I forgot. I forgot who it was. Sorry about that. I can't remember. Um, 
however, it was, uh, um, you know, it was having these kind of conversations on college campuses. And um, one of the things that struck me about those conversations, granted, it's highly edited, quote unquote, reality TV on MTV. Uh, but one of the things that uh, about those conversations that stood out um, was this idea that um, that these um, young college students of European descent, when they were asked what their ethnicity was, what their you know their ethnicity, they, their response was, "Well, I'm white." And uh, when pushed a little bit farther. Um, the best answer that, that many of them could come up with was, well, I'm an American. And uh, both of those are um, dramatically incorrect. Um, uh, their ethnicity is of European descent, for the most part. Um, and uh, whether it's Northern Europe, Eastern Europe, Southern Europe, that all depends on where their ancestors came from. That's their ethnicity. And uh, their identification with whiteness as a form of who they are, as far as where they come from, is, is evidence of this idea of a cloak of whiteness. So I think for people of, in this country of European descent, this cloak of whiteness is just on them. They're born with it. Um, you know, it's how they move and navigate. And they never have to take it off to the point in which that is how they identify, even to the point in which that may be how they identify ancestrally. The cloak of whiteness is also how the structure in which um, is worn by individuals and allows them to navigate through the structures of this of this country that we've created. So in the rough, you know, and it depends on when you want to talk about the first Europeans that began trading with the coastal natives, um, but, you know, roughly 300 years, we'll just use 300 years, um, that Europeans began coming here and then eventually settling here and then eventually um, um, colonizing completely the 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 land here well and also we can't forget about what happened during all of that right I well mean, i'm I, and I'm, I'm right i agreed but i'm i'm just sticking cloaking. with you're i'm just sticking with a single point here right like i'm just trying to carry this conversation right, right. In, you know, down the road a bit so the you know the the structures that were built during that time are structures that um, are most easily navigable when wearing a cloak of whiteness and when paired with light skin you uh, and male you have the um, you have the best opportunity in order to navigate that system um, that that is a um, multiple layers of of things that allow you to navigate the system that we've created. Um, the last piece would be class, uh, which would be if you were if you were if you were able to wear a cloak of whiteness and you had light skin. So wearing a cloak of whiteness is a skill. Having light skin is a phenotype. Um, you are um, 
you are male, which is a gender, and you and you come from a financial family background of of well to do or wealth, you now have a combination that is extraordinarily ideal for navigating the systems of the United States of America. Which is racism. Yes, it's racism when it's applied in the reverse, right? What do you mean? Well, it's um, those systems are in place, and these are the ways in which it's easy to to navigate them. These here's the ideal circumstance. You know, the ones I just listed are the ideal circumstances for right. navigating it. When the system is created, and if you start ticking away those things, all right. So I don't come from a family of wealth. Um, in fact, I'm I'm poor, but I'm still I'm still light skin phenotype. I'm still male gender, and I'm still um, able, I have the skill set of wearing the cloak of whiteness. All right, well, I have some opportunity, um, but, uh, but that opportunity becomes dramatically limited. Um, and uh, when you start ticking those things away, and we start talking about, um, you know, so let's go in, the op- you know, in, in a different direction. If we start talking about um, dark-skinned, unable to wear the cloak of whiteness so um maybe they use a vernacular that is more slang based or street based or whatever you want to call it um uh not necessarily maybe they lack um you know maybe they lack an education system that did them well um and then you also put in class and everything else you've got a group of people that the system was specifically designed um, for that to be extraordinarily difficult to navigate in. Right. Oppression. That's racism. Oppression, right? It's the, the system, uh, the race, the racist system that was constructed to ensure that people that are not within the categories that you mentioned on being able to navigate, but um, denied the access or even taken away from that are kept in a very oppressive state yeah so let's so let's define as as you and i um the definition that you uh, and i have been working off of over the past months let's define racism um so we've just chosen to define racism as a system uh of oppression a system that oppresses um specific individuals based off of their phenotype their um, the color of their skin, their, their abilities, their sexual preference. Okay, so their... now we're moving beyond racism, right? Right. Um, we could call it oppressivism. Oppressivism. Well, we if we want to talk about one word, a right, single word that identifies all race. The, well, yeah. it that's how we've chosen to define it. It's also got the word race in it, um, so it's it's difficult for it to apply. But maybe we need one word that talks about how the system um, dissects and and removes individuals from being able to navigate well through right, it. Right, right. Well, I think before we actually start to try to figure out or create a neologism, a new word, a new um, term to identify um, oppressive oppressive individuals. I think one of the things that we need to do is address what's happening, you know, what are we doing right now? Because I think a lot of times, especially from people of European descent, 
they want to try to figure out a way to not talk about race or not talk about these things that they 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 don't have to talk about it because they live in a society where everything is much easier for them and so to talk about things on um well let's you know let's talk about race let's talk about what actually started the system they'd rather put something else on it like a band-aid and be like let's just talk about something else let's try to figure something else out and Maybe. so I mean that's that's my that's my point of view. It may be somebody else's point of view, but that's the, that's what I've experienced so far. I think that I think that uh, I can completely understand where that point of view is coming from, uh, especially based off of our conversations over the past, uh, you know, couple of years. Right. Um, I but just like those conversations that we've had over the past couple of years, one of the things that we've repeatedly talked about um, is. Maybe they just don't know how. And, maybe. And maybe they don't know how. And this goes both ways, right? This, this, is, this is people on both sides of this divide. Yep. Maybe they don't know how because there's no common language for this conversation. Maybe, but I, okay, so let me ask you this before we actually start talking about a, um, a prescription to alleviate uh, racism. Let me ask you a question. And um, this is actually... One of the questions that Robin DiAngelo asks a lot of people of European descent. And the question is, um, how has your life been shaped by your race? How has your life been shaped by your race? Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put an answer out there up front that I'm going to move right past. Because we, we, I know that in these conversations, you and I will get into it. There's no such thing as race. However... How has my life been shaped by the perception of what we call race within this country? Um, you know, I think when my nephew came and visited a few times, he, he kind of identified it, right? He kind of exemplified it uh, when he said, I grew up in a place and I grew up in a county in which there were no people of color. Um, you know, I think for the most part, my communities, not completely, but for the most part, my communities and my and uh and the places in which you know we went to school and we worshiped and our downtowns and our city centers for the most part because i grew up in small places small towns had no people of color or at least you know i had limited experience with people of color um as i grew up and and became a young adult went to college my interactions with uh people of color became um, became more, became greater. Um, but I think that it shaped who I am by um, by telling me and giving me um, a clue to the skills and the abilities that I would have in order to navigate through this world um, as a white male person. You know, white the, heterosexual, right? Heterosexual male. male person. By the time I was seventeen, I was six two. Um, I was skinny. You know, by the time I was twenty five, uh, I was you know one hundred ninety eight, two hundred pounds. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a large person. So I'm tall. Um, I have a deep voice. I have, uh, you know, in my youth, I had blonder hair. Um, that commanded. Uh, 
an attention that I didn't have to ask for, or even an attention that I wasn't, um, that I necessarily didn't deserve or earned. And um, I've always been able to step into the lead. I've always been able to, um, to take, um, take control of situations if I wanted to. With no problem. With no problems. Um, I, I think I began to realize that ability directly when I was about 24, 25, 26, somewhere in there. Um, and, um, and I, I began to, I began to play with it. I began to experiment with it. I started taking the back seat. I learned what it was to lead why not stepping out on stage as the lead, um, and, uh, and observe. And I think, I, I think that at some point in my young adulthood, and I do think that this has to go back to my upbringing. It has to go back to the fact of the fact that uh, you know I grew up with in, with two households in a divorced home that were dramatically different from each other. Um, they were different in belief systems. They were different in the way they handled situations and problems. And and because of that difference, it allowed me to be a young adult uh, that could look at circumstances and situations and myself from multiple perspectives. And so, um, so you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever really been afraid of questioning myself. I've certainly had a hard time with it at times, but, um, but I, I, I think, I think I've been willing to look at myself and, um, and try and find the things that might need to change. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, when you and I first started dating, what was, what kind of things did you experience? You know I mean? Because most of your friends that you hung out with and everyone that I saw that you were around were people of European descent. Whenever we were in a group, I was only, I was the only one that was a person of color. And so, you know, be honest. Be honest. (laughs) What kind of things did you, what did you experience with that, with your friends? You know, I mean, it's like homies always talk to homies, you know, because for me, it was like, I did, I, you know, people would be like, well, you're with a white guy, (laughs) that kind of stuff. (laughs) Did you experience anything like that? No. I mean, you know, no, I think. I think that um, first off, the the group of people that I've spent my adult life around for the most part are educated. They've been to college. Um, they also have been people that, for the most part, have been willing to challenge themselves. Y- you certainly were um, a minority in their experience with uh, with people of color, like me, right? You know, I mean, they grew up in, they grew up in predominantly white communities. They grew up in predominantly um, communities of Anglo descent. And, um, but, uh, um, I don't know, you know, I think they, I think they, uh, well, I mean, they liked you. Every, every one of them liked you from the get go. Um, and you know, I wasn't always the kind of the last, one of the last of my friends to, to, um, settle down and marry and 
And I think that uh, I think that when they met you, they were like, "Oh, oh, she actually might, she actually might be able to, you know, punch him in the face when he needs to be punched in the face." <laughs> and not because I was angry, because I could. <laughs> right, because you could. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that uh, there is a segment of um, of our society uh, in which people of European descent fall into a couple of different camps. You've got the openly prejudiced and bigoted. You've got the mass prejudiced and bigoted, you know, which means that um, those, you know, these are the folks. And I think this is a huge portion of, of the United States. I think this is a huge portion of our Anglo population. And this is the portion that will make the statement, um, you know, well, I've got, you know, I've got black friends. Right. You know, right. Um, and uh, and then you've got, I think, the, uh, you know, the the um, the group that there is a group, you know. Uh, well, I can I can subdivide that group there. You know, there is a group that that, you know, it's not. Well, maybe I mean, OK, I will go deeper on that. Um, had you had you been uh, a you know a person who you know I introduced you to my friends and you were all like sup sup homie yo you know and and you talk slang and and uh, you know you you know and and if you did those things I think they would definitely be like oh hey so okay um, so culturally speaking. Right. Culturally speaking, I think you you were very good. Uh, and that's a skill you grew up with. You were very good at navigating. Or is it that I'm from Hawaii? And so being from Hawaii, people can feel safe. Right. That's what I mean. Right. right. Like you grew up with in an environment in which in which navigating the multicultural scene was normal, was normal. Yeah. And when you came to the States for the first time, um, you know, it, it was something that, you know, I mean, yeah, when I moved to the States for the first time was when I experienced what uh, racism was, you know, where um, automatically I was put into a box. You know, I wasn't white, obviously, but people couldn't make out whether I was Hispanic or black. Right. And because I couldn't fit into any of the parameters that they placed in their head about me, I kind of like was, you know, safe, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, so there's another, so there's another portion to that last group that, that I was talking about, which is, um, um, I think that people, you know, such as myself and the group of friends that I was hanging out with and hang out with, um, these weren't conversations, you know, you didn't talk about people's race. You didn't describe, you know, when, when you, um, um, when you saw some dude, um, um, walking down the street in a really cool jacket, you wanted to point it out to your friends. You didn't say, did you guys see that black guy with the, wearing that really cool jacket? Right. You said, right. do you see, did you guys see that guy wearing that really cool jacket? Right. You know, when you saw a guy, um, you know, um, driving a really cool car or, or something you didn't say 
did you see that Asian with that really cool car? You said, did you see that really cool car? Right. 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 It, it was rude. Um, and well, not just and not that it was it was rude. It's just that it didn't come up. It wasn't it wasn't part of how we spoke or, you know, how we describe things. We didn't point people out for the color of their skin or who they look like or what they look like. I think you've right. You've got my point mistaken. Right. I am saying that my group of friends yeah. didn't do that. No, that's what I, I am about to say that your group of friends, as well as the boys, our children, full on do that. And, and in fact, that is that is a part of that is a part of people of color culture is um, which, you know, when when I f- was first getting to know the boys, like that was something that that was like. I was like, like you, calling can't, out you the, can't say that. They're calling out the white guys, or they're just calling out they the black out guys. They were calling out. They were yeah. calling out everybody, and they weren't calling them out with his. Did you see that Hispanic? They would say stuff like, "Did you see that spick?" And I'd be like, "You can't, you can't say that," you know. And I mean, the difference was was that they, you know, I mean, there was never a moment of hate in their in their voice. Well, you know, here's here's the thing, and and I and I really want to be clear because I want. Being that we just called out the boys. <laughs> One it's that not say, just the boys. I know, I know. But what I'm saying is that there's going to be, all right, not to, not to like, you know, put a Band-Aid over stuff and try to. Be, I'll keep calling people out if you want, but no. they're all people of color. Right. Stop before I have to like throw this pen at you and stick it in your eye. <laughs> what I'm saying is the way that the boys grew up, the way that I grew up, is we made fun of everybody. We made fun of all kinds of of different um, ethnicities, yeah. and we didn't do it in a way that it was it, it was um, to harm, right, or to hurt one another, right? Yeah, because it's like if I would be talking a lot, my aunts, my uncles, my mom and dad would be like, "Oh, she's so Portuguese," <laughs> right? Because I spoke too much. Or if someone um, and you are Portuguese, right? And I'm Portuguese. Or if somebody brought something, you know, they were having a potluck and they brought a small portion of it. Somebody would come out and they would say, "Oh, wow, so chinka you," because they brought a little portion of it. And you are Chinese, right? Right. So yeah. we would we would say a lot of those things, and I think the. Um, I, I think what we're getting at, and I believe that what we've experienced in our lives in regards to racism, right? I've experienced racism. I've experienced where people would look at me and make a judgment or say something because of the color of my skin. And so, see, now you distracted me. So now I think um, the way it was in Hawaii was all about um, just having fun. And that's pretty much what it was. It was people were just calling each other out on things. And <laughs> I mean, and, and, and those were like characteristics there, of the there's certain also ethnicity. another element to that though you're also surrounded you're you know so the hawaiian islands for instance is a community of multiculture i mean you you're you're surrounded by you're on an island yeah with 
dozens of different ethnic groups, all of which have have immigrated there in the past 150 years. Uh, Yes. And and we've learned how to we've learned how to navigate and and coexist with each other. Right. Anglo-American community is not that. Right. It's not that. And um, and furthermore, um, the familiarity in which that is used in Hawaii is a great example. Um, is not, it's not used with familiarity in um, Anglo American culture. Right. And it is, it is used, um, you know, it's used as a dig. It's, and, and that's on the, and that's on the, the light side of things. Well, or I, it's used as a full blown prejudiced uh, statement. Well, do you think that it's probably because we still see it happening? Is it because the uh, system is still there? The system is still being perpetuated? There is. Well, yeah, you, of course the system's still being perpetuated. And so it's like, you, that's why when, you know, I hear, I hear, uh, you know, white boys drop the N word, it's like, dude. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know the uh, the foundation of that word. Yeah, well, that gets to the to, to the other layer of using those words is when you're an individual who um, has the full ease of navigating in the system. So you are able to wear the cloak of whiteness. You are light skinned. You um, um, uh, you you come from a certain class that allows you to do that and you come from the gender of male when you have all that yeah and the system is designed for you you know for you to navigate through these through through the currents of it easily or easier utilizing language that is diminishing to the groups that are have a harder time navigating it's just a no-no like it's just it's just a no-no so um how do you you have you Definitely, honey. You have you have a lot of you have a lot of knowledge. You have um, you know how to talk about these things, right? Well, I've I've learned I've learned you I've, have. I've learned and, and, in the past couple of years, and we're still learning. And we we're still learning. Are. We're still learning. Yeah. What things have you done to? You know, use your pos- your positionality, your power, and your privilege, and all of those things that you listed. What are you doing, or you know, how have you used that to shift social ch- to to shift our society? Well, I don't think I've done anything. What's huge. your plans? I you know, but what I have done is, um, when you you know when you and I are in a group setting or um and we're talking about these things um i don't take the lead i you know i i listen more than anything else um you know the event we went to this summer the refuge outdoor festival yeah which uh siobhan powell put together yeah Yeah. excellent excellent event um yeah siobhan will be on our podcast in a couple of weeks yeah yeah, that um, that event, um, you know. So you signed um, both of us up to um, to present um, yes, I at did. that event, and it and we you know we had 
I don't know, nine, 10, 12 people, P- people came in and out, right. you know, in a small group setting. First thing that, um, that was asked within that group, do you remember what it was? It was towards you. And it was from, yeah, it was, it was, from, it was from Bam. It was from Bam. Mm-hmm. Yep. What did he say? Um, addressing the elephant in the room. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What, what does a white male heterosexual have to say about race, equity, and inclusion to a group of people who are not white, not male, from, you know, not, certainly not white male, and, um, and not, of, of, um, uh, not necessarily heterosexual? Excellent question. How did you feel about that when he asked you that question? I um I was I was pleased that I mean it, it's a tough question to be asked. I mean, you know, all eyes are on you at that moment. But I was pleased that it was addressed right out of the gate because um because and you know, Bam ended up expressing the positionality that I had come into the circumstance with, into the situation with. Right. And basically he said he said, basically, in my opinion, you don't have anything to say. You should listen. Which was, you know, I mean, when you, when you had told me, I've signed us up for a class. I was like, oh, or not a class, but we're going to be teaching a course. Uh, you know, I was, I was like, uh, okay. Um, and I mean, I, I went through all kinds of stuff. You know, I, 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 for weeks, I was like, well, maybe we could talk about this, or we can talk about that. <laughs> You know, oh, we could talk about systems of oppression. And then, and then I realized before we, you know, before we went out there, I was like, mm, I should probably just listen. I should probably just listen. This is an excellent opportunity in order to, um, in order to do one of the things that I, I mentioned earlier, which is take a back seat. Right. Um, right. Don't, don't step onto the stage. Right. Um, you know, um, don't do. be a part of the audience either. Right. Right. Be be backstage, be ready to help, be exactly. ready to serve. I, I do want to point something out, though, is the, uh, the group was, was, was people of color, right? There are, a couple, there are a couple of people of European descent that was there. Yeah. And so your positionality to sit back and be quiet, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. But if uh, the roles were, if it was flipped to where I was addressing a room full of people of European descent, I think your positionality would probably um, not remain, not remain silent when you're in your small groups, but to speak up. I, I agree with that. Um, I, you know, in, in the moments in which we have addressed um, groups that are predominantly of Anglo-American descent, um, I think that uh, I think that uh, I still sit back, and um, and I sit back because not in not completely, but certainly in the beginning, right? Because it's important when when we step out on a stage, people are already expecting that I'm the one going to do the talking. Oh, totally, totally. You, you know, and um, and and if the whole point is to mix up paradigm. Um, then, then, you know, let's start with the person, um, saying good morning, which is, you know, which is you, my job in those situations, I think is to challenge their perspectives is to challenge, um, their, 
um, their positionality is to is to help them see what that positionality actually looks like. Because so, I think that I think that, like I said earlier, I think that a huge reason for why this conversation's not happening on a broad perspective is because one, we don't have a common language. Two, if you're of European descent, you don't see it. That's not everybody, but there's a huge portion of the population. There's a portion of the population who's not interested in seeing it. And then there's a portion of the population who's just like, why are you saying these things? I was, I grew up in the sixties. I, you know, I, rem I was there at the civil rights movement. You know, we watched, we watched Martin Luther King cross that bridge at Selma on TV. You know, like they think they, they, you know, they were there. And, and, and so in their mind, they participated. But that goes back to that idea of being in the audience, right? They're, they're putting themselves in the audience watching and saying, well, I was there. I was a part of it. And where they need to move is they need to move into the backstage right. and be and ready to help and serve. Exactly. Because that's where the difference between cultural competence and cultural humility comes in. Is a cultural competence is you can be an audience. You can be there, you know, oh, yeah, I have a black friend and, you know, we went to do this and this is what I saw and that doesn't make me a racist and all of these things. The humility part comes in is when they challenge the paradigms that they're currently navigating in and challenge the systems to um, to see that, you know, yes, I am benefiting from this system and that's fucked up because there's a lot of other people that are not benefiting from the same things that I am. And that's not being equal mm -hmm. and to step up for that. Yeah. And a lot of times with uh, people of European descent who has you know, place themselves in a position where they are benefiting, they're not going to want to give any of that stuff up. They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, this is an oppressive system, because then it will call them out on the perpetuation of racist, racist systems. I think that um, you just exemplified another myth, uh, another issue at odds um, with this whole conversation, and that is this idea that people of European descent are going to have to give something up yeah. if, if we're going to move forward. Right, right. That is a scarcity model. Right. It's not about giving anything up. Right. It's about, it's about allowing others to step into, um, into um, places and positions um, um, in this universe, in this world, exactly. in which they too can benefit. Right. It's about having a system that, that isn't. Um, specifically designed for a specific archetype to navigate wealth. It's about it's about rethinking the aspects of those systems that are creating it. Hey, you know, I'll be right there with you. You know, capitalism, pretty good system. Seems to work real well. You know, like I bought stuff and uh, and. You know, I mean, I, it it I I'm able to navigate the world pretty well with this capitalism stuff. And mm -hmm. capitalism is a is a model that works off of scarcity. It must have a vacuum in order for things to work, in order for <clears throat> in order for money and economics to move. And that vacuum is the poor, is those with less. 
It is a system right. that is inherently and metaphysically built from the geometric perspective of a pyramid. There are a few on the very, very, very top that have all the power and all the position and all the wealth. And there's so few, you've never seen them. You don't know their names. You couldn't possibly know their names. They're not the 1%. They're the point zero zero one percent And as we move down that, those things begin to kind of fall off. And, um, and I would argue that those people at the very top, um, I, race is not, you know, uh, phenotype, the color of people, your the, the color of your skin, um, the religion you believe in. I would venture to guess they don't give a shit about that stuff. The, Who doesn't give a shit? The people at the very, 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 very top, the point zero zero one percent. They don't have to look at any of that. Uh, you're assuming that they're all of Anglo descent. No, I'm not. I'm just saying that they don't have to look at that. Nobody, nobody at that point zero 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 what or one percent have to look at anything else except for where they exist. Right, because they it literally have created them. their own world. Right. They are literally living in it does not a world that is them. unfathomable. Right. Unfathomable. Right. So, you know, here we are in this realm of our existence where things like that do affect us. That's right. But they uh, and, you know. I think this is probably a conversation to go deeper into on another time, but but um, then you have to ask. So these become pillars of those system, right? Yeah. Race, although I'm using that as an identifier within a system, um, not as an identifier of the separations of people. Race, religion, economics, politics. education, politics. Mm -hmm. These are the pillars right. of a system, and it doesn't matter what that system is. You know, that can be a socialist system, that can be a capitalist system, that can be a democracy, that can be a communist system. It can be any of those systems. Those pillars exist within those systems. And those pillars are what prop up, um, you know, it, it prop up the, the paradigm in which we're currently living. Right. And existing in those systems, you have all of these different intersections that you probably don't even, don't, you don't even look at, people don't even look at, and they, they probably can't even see it. You know, if we look at, if we look at how um, politics, right, it's like Democrats, there's Republican, there's more parties than that. But society and the media has made it to where it's just one party against the other. And so we're not able to have a conversation about it because everybody wants to be right. Yeah. And so they, it, it's, it's, it's designed for people to fight each other. Right. We're fighting each other. We're arguing with each other. We're not even working towards trying to find harmony or looking at the bigger system and going back and looking back down on us and asking ourselves, wait a minute. Why the hell are we fighting anyway? Right. Why are we arguing about this? But when we live every single day navigating ourselves through the complexities of these systems, we can get caught up within that system. Because, yeah. I mean, it's like if, you're, if you are a person of European descent and you live in a predominantly white neighborhood mm -hmm. and you have people black people or hispanic people moving in you know it's like 
there are individuals out there that would be worried about how that's going to lower their property value. Absolutely. We see gentrification happening right now. I mean, just right here in Bothell, we see it happening. Yeah, absolutely. And where is everybody? The, The system is meant to divide. It's meant for us to look at each other as an us and them. Nobody is willing to step within the shadows or being the bridge between these these systems and saying, hey, wait a minute, how can we how can we create a system that it can be equitable for everyone else instead of fighting it? Because there is a sense of loss. There is a sense that I'm going to lose something. Yeah. 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 I'm going to lose my my position of privilege. I'm going to lose my. you know, and so before we go into this conversation too deep, I think I think it's important to acknowledge that I do not think that humanity is what humanity is, and um, humanity humanity is always going to struggle with something it's always going to it's always going to struggle with something it is and um i don't think that it has to be these things this set of things but um but um you know uh, so creating the 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 idea of a utopia is just not it's not going to happen it's not but i also i also have to say that because we live in such a complex system we each have a part to play in the system. And if we are going to choose or we just find ourselves existing in the system of social justice and that we want to be able to create a system of equality and equity and you know, um, belonging for everyone, then I think it is our responsibility as two individual human beings to utilize the power of our voice and of our positionality to make those changes by talking to people. And, you know, it's like having a brown person talk to brown people about how to get along with white people will be just as important as white people talking to white people about how to cross the divide with brown people, brown and black people, and, yeah. and call people on it as well, too. You know, it's like I've been changing my language instead of saying, oh, white people and people of color. I've been changing my language to be like, wait a minute, hold up here. Isn't the last time we checked, wasn't white a color as well, too? So if we're talking about people of color and in the same breath, we're also talking about healing, we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about co-creation, we're talking about seeding change. How can we do all of that when we are still dividing each other by people of color and white people? Right. And it's not just like. I don't want it to be, and I want to be absolutely clear that I don't want the people of European descent to just all of a sudden be like, well, we're all a color. Well, we heard Jerry and Jeremy say that white is a color, so we're a color too, so everybody get along and kumbaya. Nah, we can't be doing that. We've got to be actually addressing the 
the the traumas and the things that's happening based on because of why are we having this conversation? Yeah. Well, I think um I think that Oh so, God, I can see that happening right now. People why people hold on. PM descent's gonna be like wait, 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 oh, wait, wait, person wait. of God. Step number one for any so going back to our previous conversation, our previous podcast, um, you know, that the past couple of years as you and I have navigated through this together. Um, you know, last time we talked a lot about your process and 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 where that went. For me, um, you know, I I I had to go through some things too. And the first thing that I um I think there, that I had clearly come to the table having hadn't having had gone through some things, right? Like, you know, I had to recognize. Uh, I mean, it wasn't pretty tough, right? I, step number one was um, recognizing that um, that color was not the dividing factor amongst amongst us as human beings. That's something that's low hanging fruit. Um, but when we were going through that. Um, and in the midst of that, the first thing I think I had to kind of, I had to come to understand was what you were talking about as far as privilege. Oh, are you talking about after, um, undoing institutional racism? Yeah. After yeah. undoing institutional racism. Um, and, uh, and I had to, I, I had to, I had to understand what it was you were trying to say when you said you need to acknowledge your privilege. Right. And, um, and so what I ended up coming to was um, going back to what I had talked about earlier, you know, like, oh, I actually do have a lot of privilege in how I navigate um, and re-recognizing some of the things in a different context, in this context between navigating this world in two different colors. Um, I think for the most part, previously in my 20s, I had recognized it um, from the perspective of, oh, I'm, I'm a tall white male i don't even know that it was white i'm a tall male heterosexual i'm able to navigate this in this manner um this time i was i was looking at it from oh i'm a tall anglo descent european descent male heterosexual this is how i navigate this system the next thing that i think i had to kind of deal with um to make that journey that we were going through easier for myself and and to try and understand was to realize that as you talk through what it was to be an indigenous person, I had to go back to something that our friend Roger Fernandez had told me um, years ago when we were um, when we were in a cohort together, cohort X, um, at, uh, <laughs> at Antioch, at Antioch University. University in the whole systems design um, master's program. And Roger had said, I think that he had told me the story that he told actually on our podcast. He had told me the story that uh, um, until people of European descent dis rediscover their own indigeneity and their own connection to the world and to the earth, um, they aren't going to get anywhere. And so as you talk through this idea of, of acknowledging and coming to understand this idea of I'm indigenous, you're, you know, when you saying this, mm -hmm. I had to say, well, am I indigenous? Right. Right. Am I indigenous? And I had to ask that. And 
Um, and I came to the realization, you know, wait a minute, I am in it. I am indigenous. Well, Rod says we're all indigenous to some place. We're all indigenous to some place. Um, but my indigeneity is is so removed um, uh, from my heritage that um, from my lineage that it's it's tough to recognize. And then I began to study. And I began to figure out, oh, this is where the line of separation was between indigenous European peoples and colonized European peoples. And that line was Rome. And, uh, and, and learning that history and understanding that history. Um, and there's some, great, um, there's some great information. There's some great podcasts out there. Um, which will give you a perspective on um, on what it is to, um, you know, what what indigenous Europe looked like at the time of Caesar's conquering of the Gauls and of the Celts and of the Germanic tribes. Also known, and this is a colonized term, as the barbaric hordes. Um, and that's a colonized term. That's what the victors labeled these people. The victors, Rome, labeled them the barbaric hordes. They labeled them the barbaric hordes when Rome finally lost its positionality and, um, and the tribes invaded from the north all the way down into, into Rome. Um, so rediscovering my own indigeneity was a part of that journey. And, um, and asking questions about what that means. And then we went and we saw a movie um, a while ago. James Baldwin. I'm Not Your Negro. Mm-hmm. It's on yeah. uh, Amazon yeah. right now. Uh, really worth watching if you've got Prime. We saw the re-release in the theater. And I began to bring back up some things despite all that we'd been through i had kind of just kept stuffed away um and right about that time was um, the moment when black lives matter um was rolling and the police shooting um and uh and i began to i relate it to a story so i had grown up predominantly you know, in prominently Anglo white communities. And then I went to college and I went to Western and, you know, I mean, I was with people of color, people of um, other descents. And, um, I remember I had a class, this guy, this guy, um, was actually in a half a dozen of my classes. We, we were kind of on the, a similar track. He was a, he was a, um, Tall, well-built black man, um, well-dressed. Um, you know, he was taking a series of literature courses uh, through that uh, through that whole year. Uh, he and I ended up in a bunch of classes together. I never talked to him once. Um, maybe I said hi to him. Good morning. Uh, I distinctly remember coming out of my African American studies course and uh, coming down into the courtyard. And him being behind me and me struggling with myself internally of why do I feel, asking myself the question, why do I feel anxious with this black man 
walking behind me? And why do I always feel anxious when this black man is, you know, when a black man is walking behind me? Or, you know, by passing each other on the street. Um, and I would have to say that at 46 years old, to this day, that autonomic response, autonomic response still takes place. And um, that is, you know, it has been the, the next big thing that I've kind of had to grapple with. Well, that's deep. And, you know, I mean, this, you, you were at Western at this time. Yeah. And so you were how old? In your 20s? Yeah, I was probably 21, 22. And you, you hung out with, I mean, everybody around you was a person of European descent, Anglo. Right. Right? Well, I think one of the things that I, um, I want to say is that that deep reflection, and I'm glad that, thank you for, for sharing, sharing that reflection on your fear of color, mm. you know? That's pretty much what it is, is it, it's fear of color. I don't know if that's accurate. Well, he's black, he's big, you know, I mean, and, and, and I say that, I say that, and it's, it's actually a, a Lee Manoir's, uh, she, he has a film on the uh, color of fear, but anyway, um, I, I say that because that, 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 that anxiety, right, that you felt, and I can only extrapolate that with a lot of other individuals, they're afraid of that. And, and, and it's not just, it's not just black men. It's, um, it's, uh, it's anybody that has darker melanin. I wouldn't agree with that. I see that happening with me. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure that you can, you can disagree. You can disagree that people of, um, European descent are not always afraid, afraid of that, but it shows we, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's evidence of that. What the reason why I'm, I'm bringing this up and that reflection and that you're working on it, I can see that you're working on it. You were, we were in New York. You went to a bar in Harlem with Gabe and you were the only person of European descent. Okay. So, um, so let me, so let me go a little bit further with that. So yes, it's something that I've been thinking about. It's something that I've been working through and it's something I've been trying to analyze. Here's the reason why I don't really agree with the phrase for myself. Collectively, I don't know, that's, that's like spreading butter on toast. I, I don't know that all Anglo-Americans feel that way. I do think a lot do, but I well, don't think... I'm not think, saying all. I'm not putting them I, right, all I know, in the box. I know you're not. Right. But I don't think that's a fear of color. What do you think it is? I'm going to get to that. Okay. Um, it's a fear of black men. That makes sense. It's a fear of the archetype of black male, um, well, inner city, right? American. Look at how look at how they've been portrayed. Right. That's exactly it for a long time. And that's the conclusion, the current conclusion that right. You know, so like in my brain, I ask the question: Why do I feel this way? Why you know, like I need to deal with this. I need to bring this to the forefront. You know, and then I start trying to figure out solutions and challenge myself um, in those circumstances. And so the solution that that I'm working with right now is 
guess so to go back to the pillars of of, of civilization media would be um yeah. the sixth one yeah. and that pillar has shown me my entire life what black male inner city american looks like acts like um what his character is what um you know what kind of person he is and um and it has taught me um to fear it because right. it could yeah. harm you right and and, and that yeah. that so i have been by watching my television programs <laughs> i have been programmed simple math people right you and um and so um so yeah so that's that's where I think it comes down to, you know, like that's so true. I, and then when you met, when you when you met my cousin in New York, and when we went there, it was it it, it wasn't like that at all. Well, no, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> like it, having brought this up, it gives me the opportunity to challenge it. And yes. in challenging it, I I have had the I have had the opportunity to try and and work through it. Right. And um and I'm still working through it. Um, you know, um, yeah, I'm still working through it. I think it's, uh, it's something that we all need to work through, but we have to, in order for us to work through it, we have to acknowledge it first. Right. Yeah, yes. you do. You do. So, uh, we are, we are running, uh, to the end of our time. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to having um, another conversation next week, which is going to be pretty awesome as we continue the series of Down with Brown and All Right with White. So this is a. Um, so we're going to I think the way we're going to do this is we're going to um, we're going to continue these conversations one on one. And uh, and we're also going to have other podcasts with our guests. Um, so this series together, one-on-one, -on -one, is going to be called Down with Brown, All White with White. And, uh, and then the other ones, no, what did I say? No, we're, ta we're, we're, we're talking, we're going to be getting different perspectives from other people. Oh, I know we are. I know, but, but we're going to name those. We're going to name those oh, we are? differently. Well, yeah. Oh, I didn't know we're that. We're going to name them by, our, by the speakers. But the theme will be this conversation, yes. That's what I said, this right. theme, this yeah. series. Right. We're yeah. in agreement. <laughs> we're in agreement so um check us out in a couple of places uh you can find um jerry on instagram facebook you can find plowline on twitter um at uh um at plowline and you, also on facebook as well too yep and which is um also um facebook.com backslash plowline yep and um you can also uh check us out on um on co3 consulting co number three consulting.net and soundcloud currently is where we are hosting these uh conversations we will be going further um out than that but you can find plowline on soundcloud as well as our youtube page um uh, which we will have up on soundcloud shortly so thank you very much everybody Thank you. This is Jerry Balarosa Tunnell with Plowline Podcast, seeding compassion and cultivating change.